Today I want to talk about perspectives, because as an optometrist I think I can. And uh, perspectives are really cool. Um, I give you a good example here. This is actually drawn on the... This is pavement art. Have you seen this? Amazing. If you look from the other side, it doesn't look like anything, but you look from this... Isn't that incredible? That someone could do that on, on, a, on a pavement. Uh, look at the next one. The side of a building. I love that. Isn't that cool? You bookworms out there, you love this sort of stuff. So I would totally live in a building that looked like that, wouldn't you? Especially if you could actually read them. Look at the next one. This is a little girl talking to a giant frog. And um, you, you, know, you may be terrified for her, but she's not terrified. She's just drawn. It's the perspective is the thing. And see, perspective changes everything. When you look at things from one angle, it's different than when you look at it from another angle. Perspective changes everything. And what we do, sorry, what we view determines what we do. We've been studying heaven, and if the promises of God are yes and amen, this should change how we see this world down here today, shouldn't it? We shouldn't just sail through this world with the same attitude because we know where we're going and we know what eternity is about because we've, we've had a look at it. Having an eternal perspective changes how we live. So today I want to talk about an eternal worldview and how we view this life in light of the future to come. The great comfort and encouragement that we as Christians know we're going to heaven. We have the promises of God to assure us of that. And, and then that changes how we see everything. Everything. So what you view determines what you do. If you have a Bible, please open to Colossians chapter 3. If you have this memorized, good for you. Um, and it's also on our app. On our app, if you go to the messages tag, you'll be able to see the message unfold there and take notes and that sort of thing as well. <coughs> Colossians 3, verses 1 to 2. Listen to what Paul writes. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, which is heaven. Set your mind on things above not on earthly things. You see, Bible writers point to an eternal perspective because they know if you can get this right, if you can fix your eyes on things above, it changes everything, everything about how you live and what you do. They were always, when they were writing, they were always looking ahead to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, did you know that the second coming of Christ is the most talked about doctrine in the entire Bible? Did you know that? Listen to this. In the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are some 318 references to the return of Christ. That's one in every 13 verses in the New Testament mentions something to do with the end of time and the return of Christ. So the New Testament is talking a lot about it. Across the whole Bible, for every prophecy about his first coming, there are eight prophecies concerning his second advent. Every moral command in the New Testament is at some point tied to the return of Jesus. Think about it. Um, parables like the wicked servants, the ten virgins, the rich man that Jesus calls a fool because he never considered his death. If you look at Luke chapter 12, verse 19, it says, uh, this is the man talking. You remember, he puts all his goods aside and he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool. You fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? See, that's a good, this is what, you know, in this world we try and get as much stuff as we can, be as successful as we can, but Jesus is saying, don't do it. 
If you do, you're a fool because you're going to die and someone's going to get stuff, you know. We earn the money and our kids get to squander it. That's how people think. And I'm not saying don't go out there and and earn money and, and be a part of society, but we've got to have an eternal perspective. In the Old Testament... Moses, and Moses is pretty cool, you know. He's, he didn't just lead the people of Israel. He wrote poems and psalms. Did you know that? Psalm 90 is written by Moses. And it urged the people to live carefully with wisdom on a daily basis. Psalm 90 verse 12. Listen to this. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. To number our days. To be aware of the number of our days. Martin Luther actually translated this verse. Teach us to think more about death that we might understand how to live. So once we understand the brevity of life, once we comprehend how fragile this life is uh, and, and, and the enormity of what is to come, then and only then will we live this life fully to serve Jesus properly without fear or agenda. We can say no to ungodliness. We can refuse to be upset by things that happen because we have eternity in focus, not just what we get to today. And I think this is really important. We get upset about so much, don't we? Don't believe me? Get on Facebook. Everybody's upset and offended by everything. Everything. So we are such a heavily offended generation. We're the most offended generation in history. But we shouldn't be if our focus is on eternity. We all walk, share this walk of faith into eternity. Paul says, if, if our only hope is to be rewarded in this life, then we are pitiable. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 15. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So if you're a Christian and you don't really know or understand what heaven is all about, he's saying you're, if you live your life just for, you're, a, you're pitiable. We're to be pitied because we're missing out on on sin. Look, I recognize that sin is attractive. I recognize that sin can be fun. It has a sting in the tail. Look out for that. But, you know, if you say sin isn't fun, that's not true. Godliness is just more fun. But, But the devil will entice us with sin. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it. Paul had an eternal perspective. He knew that there was far more in this life, so, sorry, than this life, far more coming after he died. That this is the first chapter of an eternal book. If you have your Bible, open to Hebrews 11. Now, we love Hebrews 11 because it's, it's the hall of fame for faith. All of the guys, by faith they did this, by faith they did this, by faith, etc. I want to go right to the end of that chapter, to, to verse 32. Listen to what what, uh, the writer to the Hebrews is saying here. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness and became mighty in war, put armies to flight. And we all go, yeah, amen, cheer those guys on, awesome. They're a group of winners, high achievers in the faith. But then just a verse later in verse 36, he talks about another group. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned, not the drug kind, the stone, you know, hit with rock kind. 
They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. Okay, sign me up for group A. I'm not sure I want to be in group B. I'll take group A. You see, we, you know, we want to be successful. And we look at it and we, you know, if it looks like a failure, we think it's, it's tragic or we think it's, it's bad or something. What, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, even the guys who look like they failed in an earthly sense are actually winners. But then he goes on to say that they never fulfilled their faith. Why? Because in eternity, whether you live in the world, what the world considers a successful life or in obscurity, or an ordinary life, or a failure, there is much more to come for us in heaven. In verse 39 it says, it's, and all these, like the successful guys, and the, you know, not so, the, the group A guys, and the group B guys, all these guys, through, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. See, the writer to the Hebrews is telling us that the true reward for faith may be partially delivered in this life, but it'll be fully delivered in the life to come. Get excited about it. You know, um, God's blessing and favour and prosperity is not quite as cut and dried as we think. So what is an eternal worldview? Hebrews 10.31 says this, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I think if you're going to study anything about what happens when you die, you have to realise that for good or for evil, whether you love God or whether you don't, we will be in the hands of the living God and it's a fearful thing. And I thank God, as, as was mentioned earlier, um, the amazing grace of God that he saved me. He chose to sa- save me. He, he chooses to save you. He offers salvation to those. And, you know, people reject his salvation and it breaks his heart, but he offers it to them anyway. We've learned about heaven and hell that we go to one or the other after we die, but both are temporary, pending ultimately going to the lake of fire. Hell leads to the lake of fire and eternal death and endless misery for those who refuse Christ, or heaven, which leads to a new perfect earth for those who accept him. As Christians, we know that our works will be judged. Everybody's works will be judged. For people who don't know Christ, they will be judged and sent to hell because their works will be inadequate to save them. Only the blood of Christ saves them. But for those of us who have received Jesus, our works will also be judged, not for salvation, but for reward, the Bible says. So here are four things that I think we should do to change our perspective now because our eyes are on heaven. And please, don't just sit here and listen to this service and say, oh, that was a nice that was a nice message, that was fun or something. You know, I don't want you to have funny. I want you to, to listen and say, Lord, where do you want me to change? How do you want my, the way I live my life to change as a result of, of knowing about heaven and hell? So James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So don't just listen. I want you to open your heart this morning and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to change? How do you want me to respond to this? Because this is not just fun. This is eternity. And I want you to be with me and the people that I love in eternity. And I want us to receive well done, good and faithful servant. I want us to receive the reward, don't you? 
So it should change how we see alternative. So what are some of the ways we can change our mindset now about eternity based on the fact that we're, we're looking at heaven rather than just looking at this life? Well, the first thing is kick the bucket list mentality. There's a bucket. Keith, would you kick that? <laughs> we have a bucket list mentality a lot of times. In 2007, a movie came out called The Bucket List. Who's seen it? Uh, Morgan Freeman, Jack Nicholson popularised the term bucket list. It's the story of some old men facing a terminal diagnosis, so they set out to do a list of crazy things that they always wanted to do before they die. You, you familiar with that? That's why I say bucket list. I want to do this before I kick the bucket. Right? Most people have a bucket list today. I want to do this. I want to experience this. I want to, want to, want to experience that before I die. But the underlying assumption is that after I die, it will be too late. I better do it before I die. That's the assumption behind the bucket list. In fact, they say YOLO. Have you heard YOLO? You only live once. That's their mantra. Oh, YOLO, you only live once. But as Christians, listen, this makes no sense. Right, such a list makes no sense. The Bible teaches that heaven is real. Our ultimate destination is a renewed earth. When we die, we do not sit on cl around on clouds strumming harps until our fingers bleed. We do not sit around in an endless church service singing hymns with 87,000 verses. That's not what we do. When we die, we experience life to the full. Everything that's on earth, on steroids, amplified, that's what we're going to see in heaven. Get excited about it. Even, you know, the best bits of earth. And, and we'll, we'll experience it in an even better way, C.S. Lewis says, because there is no curse up there. There's only the good things. So you might not get a chance to climb Mount Everest, but one day you'll be able to fly around it. There is nothing we experience here that we will not experience in abundance in heaven. Nothing. With heaven in your heart and eternity with God awaiting, why do you need a bucket list? You will experience everything you can possibly want one day in heaven. You haven't got to do it this side of death. You just don't. So YOLO, you only live once, is a myth. It's actually YALF. You actually live forever. YALF. <laughs> Hebrews 11.16. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And as Keith Green said, in six days he created everything we see around here and it's pretty darn good, but he's been working on heaven for 2,000 years. It's going to be way better. This life we experience is just chapter one of an eternal book and every chapter gets better. In this life, you might, might sacrifice, you might miss a few things, but that is nothing compared to future glory. Nothing. C.T. Studd, the great uh, cricketer, Played in the very first test match between England and Australia and lost. Praise the Lord. Because um, he was English. Um, that's when they burned the bales. right? This is the first test match. right? Um, but he, he played in that. He was a nobleman. Uh, he had lots of money, lots of prestige. And he gave it all up and became a missionary to China. And he said, this only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. What a perspective. What a perspective. You see, his knowledge of where he was going changed how he lived his life. John Piper preached an incredible message to about 40,000 young people at a big meeting one time, and he preached on the wasted life. 
And he told the story of two elderly ladies in his church, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards. Now, both were around 80 years of age. They were both single. Um, One was a widow. One had been single her whole life. And having lived a long and faithful life, they followed the calling of God. They believed God called them to Cameroon in Africa. And not long after they arrived, they were actually killed in a car crash. And uh, people say, well, that's a tragedy. They called it a tragedy. But he said, that's not a tragedy. John Piper pulled a, a piece of paper out of his pocket. He said, let me tell you about a Reader's Digest article about a couple known as Rob and Penny, who worked hard and retired early, moved to Florida, bought a boat and started a seashell collection, which they're very, very proud of. He said, that is a tragedy. Spending the last 20 or 30 years of your life satisfying your own selfish desires and having a nice seashell collection. See, the world will try and sell you their perspective. They will try and say, nice house, nice car, nice job, nice family, nice retirements, and you can collect seashells and live out your life indulging yourself. I remember um, uh, we've taken a few cruises, and uh, I remember being on the cruise, and I met people on the cruise who are retired who live permanently on cruise ships, right? And, and, and I said to Fiona, I said, I couldn't do that. What a waste of space. Now, I like a cruise ship. I like being indulged. I, like the, I really like the food. Um, but I like everything about it, having my clothes laundered and my bed made. It's wonderful. But not forever. Not every day. And this, this is what they do because they're retired. And all they think about doing in retirement is pleasing themselves. Because that's their perspective. Collecting seashells and indulging themselves. When you stand before Jesus Christ, will you be able to say more than, hey, look at my seashell collection? That, my friends, is a tragedy. Years wasted serving yourself and your own interests. And honestly, most of us fall for this. I urge you, don't buy into that dream. Give your life totally to Jesus, live for him, and eternity awaits. And the one thing you won't be able to do in heaven is share the gospel and lead people to Christ. So that's one thing you can do down here before you die. Everything else will be there, just not that one. A wasted life is a life lived without thinking about eternity. So kick the bucket list and take up serving Jesus list. Only what's done for Christ will last. The second thing is discover your calling. You know, when you read Hebrews 11, it shows us that God has a unique calling for every believer in the story of faith. There is a myth in Christian circles that God only calls super spiritual people and he does so supernaturally. He writes it in neon in the sky or something like that. That is a myth. I'm a myth buster today. A few might experience sensational super calls like that, but most of us, you're not guided by neon signs in the, in the sky, are you? Are you guided by miracles you see or dreams or vision? Most of us are guided in a completely different way. Remember Elijah's experience, 1 Kings 19, where, where God's meeting the prophet Elijah. Now, this was a special guy, but listen to what happened. Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke apart the pieces of rock before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake. 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came the sound of a gentle whisper. Guess where he was? So don't look for God in the spectacular. Open your heart and let him speak to you in a gentle whisper. That's how he speaks most often. Many of you sitting here are not sure that God has called you to minister. You may have worked hard, you may have done stuff in your life, but you know, oh, I'm, I don't think God wants me to be a pastor. That could be true. But being a pastor is not the only show in town. It took me decades to get to, to even agree to being a pastor. And now I wouldn't swap it for anything. If you're not sure of God's plan for your life, let me ask you something. Did God save you so that the only thing you do with your life is sit in church, be a good person and tithe? Is that why he saved you? No, he did not. Does he desire more for you? Are you called to minister for Jesus? Listen, newsflash, don't wait for a specific call. The calling for you to serve and reach people with the gospel was included when you were saved. When he called you to be saved, he called you to service as well, to serve the kingdom of God. If you're a believer, guess what? You're called. Don't wait for a neon sign in the sky. If you're a Christian... You are called to some sort of ministry. And, and part of our aim here is to help you discover that. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So whatever we do, when you accepted Jesus, you accepted the call to mission. The only question is, where and how will you serve him? Having an eternal perspective means you can leverage your life in the service of the kingdom. You don't have to be spectacularly called. You don't have to be an apostle or a pastor or a worship leader. You can have the great privilege of serving Jesus right here where you are now. So I urge you, don't wait for a sign. Start now with what you've got and let God direct you. Think about a ship. If you've got a ship and it's stationary, you can move the rudder all you like. You can't steer it. But as soon as it moves, the rudder starts to bite and you can steer that ship. Now, even if you make a wrong choice and move the wrong direction, if you're moving, God can bring that around and move you in the right direction. So start moving. Just start serving the Lord somehow. Open your heart to people. Open your, your house, your, you know, your table, have people for dinner. Whatever it is, there are so many ways you can serve. And this church is here to help you serve the Lord. We're not here to force you to serve him, but if you want to serve him, you're in the right place because there are opportunities here all the time. In the book of Acts, Stephen was just an ordinary guy, but he became the first martyr of the church. Philip wasn't an apostle, but he led an unnamed eunuch to the Lord, and this eunuch went back to his native Ethiopia and founded a church movement that is still in existence today. 2,000 years later. See, God is not interested in your ability. He's interested in your availability. And I urge you, whatever your background, however old you are, however young you are, however educated you are or are not, I urge you, don't eke out your life but live life to the full by engaging and serving the Lord. This church is a perfect vehicle for that. So a heavenly perspective should change how you live right now and should change what's important to you. Uh, on the back of your seats there is a little card that we use to connect with people. If something's burning in your heart and you want to do something for the Lord in or around this place, please write your name and details on there and what it is that you feel God's calling you to and hand it to one of us because we want to help you reach your dreams. I'm not here to just entertain you every Sunday morning. I'm not that good, you know. 
I want to help you reach your dream. And I don't care if you are uh, sick or old. or God still has something for you. Recently, we farewelled our dear friend, Doug Birrell. I've got to tell you, that man inspired me because when his body was breaking down, you know what revved up? His prayer life. He started praying. That man can pray, I tell you. And he's still interceding for us in heaven, I'm sure. He's still praying. But when his body started to break down, he just began to pray more and more. What a joy. The third thing, and this will be controversial, to change your perspective, is to rejoice in suffering. When you have an eternal worldview, it changes how you see suffering. Romans 5, verses 3 to 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice in our sufferings. Yay for sufferings. Woohoo! I bet you don't say that. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. See, modern Christianity tells us that God rewards and validates our faith by success, but it's not true. If you pray this, if you believe this, if you do that, if you have enough faith for this, this is how God's going to reward you. Some say God is bound by the Bible and therefore must reward you. I found this verse. That means if, if I ask for this, God's got to do it. And we, 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 we take verses out of context and shove them down sort of God's throat and say, you better do what I'm telling you to do. That's so wrong, folks. It is wrong. Last I checked, he was God and you're not. Either am I. How can we force him to do this? Surely he's God. He can do whatever he likes. He does. He does answer prayer. He does fulfill the promises in his word. But we have to be careful, not presumptuous. According to this sort of doctrine, God will never let anything bad happen to you. This is not true in life and it's certainly not true in the Bible. People say, God will never let anything bad happen to you. Really? Open your Bible. Let's talk about Joseph. Last I recall, he was betrayed by his brothers and he was stuck in prison. And then God raised him up. What about Daniel? Snatched away from his home, sent into exile as a slave, but God raised him up. What about Peter, Paul, even Jesus? But all of them brought glory to God by triumphing through their suffering, not getting around it. Becoming a Christian doesn't see, uh, doesn't see Christ removing trouble from your life. He provides a way through the trouble. So if you are suffering at the moment, if, if something's not going wrong, if, if sickness is there, I urge you, take your eyes off the pain, off the sickness, off the suffering, off the loss, off whatever it is. Take your eyes off that and put them on Jesus. James 1, count it all joy. Everybody say joy. Woo! Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be uh, perfect and complete, not lacking anything. See, God wants to make you mature and perfect and complete. I was talking to someone the other day. They're talking about the behavior of an older person. I said, here's the problem. Age is compulsory. Maturity is optional. <laughs> God doesn't want you to, to grow into a 70 or 80-year-old child. He wants to mature you. And if it takes suffering, he's not frightened to use suffering or, or, or difficulty to do it. So don't shun it. Don't, 
I'd urge you, if something is wrong in your life, if you're struggling or in some way, take your eyes off it and put it on Jesus because he can work through the suffering. Sometimes he takes us around. Many times he takes us through. Remember that passage in Hebrews 11. You know, they were stoned and sawn in two and killed with the sword. And, you know, if you're a prosperity guy, you'd read that. Well, those guys weren't weren't walking by faith, were they? Look at them, sawn in two, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. Not a success. The prosperity guys that hate those guys, but they're in the Bible as heroes of faith because they triumphed over suffering. The deepest faith is grown not in times of prosperity, but in times of suffering. Some of the best things about God are only revealed in suffering. The symbol for Christianity is a cross, not a cushion. God's power might be revealed in our prospering or our healing, and sometimes he heals us and sometimes he, he, he prospers us and that's wonderful. And we pray for that. But he, when we rejoice in our sufferings, that is next level faith. And it shows just how much we value God, not just what he can give us. We cherish our relationship with God more than life itself. Romans 8 verse 18. Don't believe me? Listen to what Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. That is a heavenly perspective. Whatever we go through now, that is nothing man compared to what is coming afterwards. Because his eyes are on eternity. In this life, Jesus tells us we will suffer. But how we respond to suffering reveals much about our faith, the faith we truly have in God. An eternal perspective gives us a supernatural ability to rejoice in suffering, to not whine and complain and get mad at God for not taking us out of the suffering. Hello? Am I the only one who gets mad at God? Good. There's at least two of us here. Fantastic. Now, this is not often preached, but it's really true. Prosperity preachers will say, if you give us your money, if you call this 1-800 number, God will bless you and make you rich and prosperous. But will God? Is that what God's about? Is his purpose in this world to bring you happiness? It's not. Did Jesus suffer and die to give you a comfortable life? Question. To people who aren't Christians, is being rich materially as impressive as when someone goes through some really deep trial, but their heart is set on you. What do you think impresses an unsaved person? I'm going to say number two. Does someone driving a Tesla really impress an unsaved person more than a faith-filled person rejoicing even though their life is a struggle and they're suffering? What do you think impresses them when you have an eternal worldview you rejoice in suffering because your eyes are on eternity and god and believe it or not god has no problem using suffering to bring about what is going on you see it doesn't matter what we endure on earth because our eyes are fixed on eternity and we can endure anything i remember being away um some of, some of you might know i was uh, a touring musician and i was away in india how many of you like india interesting place it is a wonderful place really but I remember being there because uh, uh, 
I was, was touring around India doing various... But it was hot, it was dry, it was uncomfortable, it was the, where we were staying was awful. Um, it was just a horrible experience. But I remember thinking, one more week of this and then I'll get on a plane, I'll go back to Fiona and the family. And that kept me going. You see, if, no matter what you're suffering now, if you think about, oh man, just another week, just a little while longer and I'm going to be there, that keeps you going through the present problem. And that's what it means to, to endure suffering with joy. Keep your eyes on the destination. The fourth and final thing is to forsake the idea of being credited. We love people praising us, giving us awards and compliments, don't we? It's human nature. We, we like that. If we do something good, we love someone to say, hey, great job. You did really well. Harry Truman said this, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. An eternal perspective means you don't care who knows what you've accomplished as long as God knows. And you can happily serve in obscurity. 1 Peter 4 verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. Most of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, we don't know about. There's no record of their name, but God knows them. And in eternity, they are known. You don't have to get the accolades down here. You don't have to be remembered on earth to make an impact in eternity. Or even on earth. I want to show you a photograph here that you might remember. In uh, 1989, if we can have that up for thanks, Zach. In 1989, the democracy movement in China was gathering momentum. And the government cracked down on protesters in a place called Tiananmen Square. Uh, killing an estimated 10,000 students. Then one lone protester whose name no one can remember stood before the tanks and the impact of what he did was heard around the world. You remember that? Who remembers that? You don't remember anything else about... I've been to Tiananmen Square. It's, it's, just, a, it's just a square. But no one who saw that will ever forget what that man did. He's in obscurity. We don't know who he is. But he did something amazing. When you have an eternal view, you don't care what people say or think. You don't care whether they think you're amazing or not. And you don't care what legacy you leave behind as long as it's godly. Your eyes are on eternity and that is the only reward that matters. If I said to you, Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, most of you have probably never heard of Zinzendorf. You certainly didn't name your children Zinzendorf. If you did, go and apologise immediately. Um, But he was a German nobleman in the 1700s. He's described as the rich young ruler who said yes. Now this man could have led a life of, of leisure, a rich life. He was a nobleman. He could have just had a fantastic life. But he saw a painting called Ecce Homo. Uh, which means Behold the Man in Latin, by Domenico Fetti. And this painting depicts Jesus just before his crucifixion, beaten and bloodied. And below it was an inscription that said, All this I have done for you, what have you done for me? And he saw that in in an art gallery in Dusseldorf, and it really affected him. And it cut straight to his heart, and it changed everything, because it changed his perspective. And he realized that he must devote his life not to pleasure or leisure, but to the service of the King of Kings. So he devoted his quite large estate to be a safe haven for persecuted believers. And soon 300 Moravian refugees joined him at his estate at Hernhut. Uh, He could have relaxed 
he could have had a great life, but he gathered these hurting people together and he taught them the Bible. And then listen to this. This is what happened. This is why this guy, like he's, he's the greatest guy in Christendom you've never heard of. On August the 12th, 1727, he started a prayer meeting which ran around the clock 24 hours, 168 slots a week, and it lasted 110 years. A hundred-year prayer meeting. We can't even get out of bed early to pray. Round the clock. Then he got his Moravian young people together. They weren't pastors, they weren't teachers, they were just common, normal folk. And he said, he taught them how to evangelize and he started the greatest missionary movement in, in history. And much of the south of the US was impacted by these Moravians. And then they were in England in a little chapel on Aldersgate Street. And one young man came walking past and he heard them reading out of the book of Romans. And so he stuck his head in the window to see what was going on. And he gave his heart to Jesus. He said, my heart was strangely warm. His name was John Wesley, the founder of the, of the Methodist movement. These guys, the impact was phenomenal. Zinzendorf being affected by this, this painting and saying, God, what have I given back to you, Lord? You've given me everything. Suddenly his perspective moved from what was happening around him and the, the hassles and stuff he had moved up towards heaven and he looked into eternity and he said, I've just got to give my life totally to the Lord. Zinzendorf said this, I have but one passion. It is he. It is he alone. And then he said this. I love this. This really moves me. I desire only to preach the gospel, to die and to be forgotten. That is an eternal perspective. Don't give me any, any accolades. I just want to preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. But he'll never be forgotten in heaven. You may have never heard of Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, but he doesn't care because heaven knows about him. And he did great things for God in eternity. So church, eyes up. What are you concentrating? What's your perspective right now? Can you say with Isaac Watts, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Can you say that? You can sing it, but can you really mean it? Are you looking at this world, at your troubles, at what you endure, at what you want to do before you die? I say this in love. Eyes up. Get your eyes up. If you have an eternal perspective, no matter what you face, no matter what you suffer, no matter what someone else says about you, you can decide today to invest your one life for God, the only life that you get, because only what's done for Christ will last. So I mentioned before, I'm an optometrist. And um, Roger will agree with this. We give people multifocals. How many, how many of you wear multifocals? You poor things, me too. But when you first give people multifocals, the first thing they do is they look at their feet when they go downstairs. You don't look at your feet when you go downstairs until you get multifocals. It's true. You do not look at your feet. You look ahead. And we say, well, listen, when you're going downstairs, eyes up. Because if you look down, it sort of distorts and goes all way. Bad idea. Keep your eyes up. And so that's what I'm saying to you this morning. Eyes up. Every believer is called. So please don't waste your life collecting seashells and satisfying yourself. 
This church exists to help you invest your life into eternal things. If you're retired, fantastic. Invest your time and money into the kingdom. If you are working, invest any spare time and extra money you have into the kingdom. All of us can be part of the kingdom of God, starting right here, right now. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because we know we are going to heaven. We know it's going to be sensational. And anything, any suffering, any loss, any strain, any struggle right here, right now is going to pale into insignificance when we put our eyes on heaven. It's just a shadow, folks, of what is to come. Jesus said... There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What is God calling you to do? Please, I beg you, don't eke your life away just existing. This is the greatest moment in human history to be alive and be a Christian. Did you know that? People are looking at world events with with fear. And I'm looking at them saying, awesome. Because it means Jesus is coming back soon. And no one knows the day or the hour. But you need to keep your lamb trimmed, folks. We need to keep serving and keep our eyes fixed on eternity. Would you bow your heads? The Lord is speaking to us this morning. I believe that he's calling, calling many of you to step up a little in service, to stretch a little more, to do a little more because you realize that your time is short and you want to make sure that as you, as you move ahead, you are doing the will of God because what you do now matters for all eternity. If you've never asked Jesus into your life or maybe you have and you're just not sure, you're not totally positive that you're a Christian well now's the time to make sure because we want you in heaven with us we want you sharing in eternity with us so if you've never asked Jesus into your life I'm going to pray a prayer we'll do it very quickly you just pray this after me and together we will step into the realms of eternity just say these words say dear Lord Jesus I turn away from my sin I ask your forgiveness and I turn to you. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I give you my life and thank you for giving me eternal life. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today or maybe the first time in a long time just to make sure I'll get you wherever you are just to shoot your hand up. There's a few. Praise God. Are there any more? Just quickly because we want you in eternity with us but don't wait for pie in the sky when you die by and by. Eternity starts now. It's how we live now. And if we have eternity in in, in our vision, it's going to change what we do now. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer for the rest of us. Simple prayer for the rest of us. And that is this. As Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, use me. You may have prayed that before, but we normally say, Lord, 
use me but don't not in this area or don't send me here or don't do this but I'm going to ask you to say here am I Lord use me if you are suffering if you are, are struggling with burdens financial burdens, family burdens health burdens I don't think that makes you exempt I think that makes you want to say Lord use me because when you start to open your heart and say Lord use me you can trust him to deal with the other stuff. He can sort that. You concentrate on serving him. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to, to pray this with all your heart. Some of you are doing things for the Lord. Some of you are not sure. Maybe you're not sure you've been called. You're not sure where you fit. Fill out those cards. And we'll find a place for you. Trust me. Serving Jesus is the greatest thing you can do. Because you're keeping your eyes on eternity when you serve his kingdom here. But pray these words with me and let's together open our hearts to the Lord. Say these words, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Use me.